Shalom Aleichem and welcome back to Sefer Maccabim. Last time we learned about the death of Yehudah Maccabee and how this almost brought the Maccabean revolt to its knees. But the people rallied around Yehudah's brother Yonatan who assumed the mantle of leadership and battled back to ensure the war would continue. We're now going to start the next chapter by introducing a new character to our story named Alexander Ballas. Now Alexander Ballas was a Greek citizen who claimed to be a long-lost son of Antiochus Epiphanes, the emperor this all began with, and thereby the rightful heir to the Seleucid throne. Scholars debate the authenticity of this claim, but after voicing it continuously, Alexander built up a cadre of loyal supporters. He was taken to Rome, where he petitioned the Senate to support him in his battle to overthrow Demetrius and become emperor. The Senate gave him their support, and officially recognised Alexander as the true Seleucid emperor. Alexander recruited mercenaries, and chapter 10 in the Book of Maccabees begins by telling us how around 15 years after the start of the Maccabean Revolt, Alexander and his army sailed to Judea and captured the city of Acre on the north coast, which becomes his base. He has no problem taking the city, because, as Josephus tells us, the residents were fed up of living under Demetrius's rule, since Demetrius was doing a really rubbish job as emperor. Therefore, the people welcomed Alexander, a contender for the throne, with open arms. Of course, as soon as Demetrius gets wind of what's going on, he immediately jumps to mobilize an army to crush Alexander before he can take over. Now, before they battle, both Demetrius and Alexander realize there is one key personality that they have to win over to their side, namely Yonatan Hamakabi. The Maccabee faction is gaining strength again in Judea, and Yonatan has an army of hardened Jewish warriors at his command. Both Demetrius and Alexander know that whichever one of them Yonatan chooses to side with will be the one who wins the war, and the Seleucid throne. So they both straight away send letters to Yonatan, attempting to win him over. Demetrius is especially anxious to do this, because he does not exactly have a clean track record when it comes to treating the Jews well. The letter he sends Yonatan goes something like this. I grant you permission to raise an army and craft weapons for yourselves, and also all the Jewish hostages being held in the Acre, I command to be released. Now when I read this, I thought all the prisoners had already been released by order of Bakhidis, but apparently there were still some Torahs being held there. Now when Yonatan receives this letter, he is very happy, and gathers the entire people in the middle of Yerushalayim to read them the letter, deliberately making sure the Hellenists in the Acre are within earshot. When they hear Demetrius's proclamation, they are very afraid, and immediately hand over the Jewish boys being held captive there, whom Yonatan returns to their parents. Very happy, Yonatan relocates from Michmas to Yerushalayim and begins to repair the city, which had been damaged by Alchemist and the unruly Jews following the death of Yehuda. You might remember from the previous chapter that when Bakhidis returns to Jerusalem, having been defeated by the Maccabim at the banks of the Jordan, he fortifies many Judean towns and fills them with his mercenaries. But when all the mercenaries see Yonatan back in Jerusalem, apparently with the support of the emperor, they become afraid and most of them flee Judea to return to their own countries. Only in Betzorah do they remain. Now when Alexander hears what Demetrius has offered Yonatan, and all the battles Yonatan and his fighters waged against Demetrius and Bakhidis, Alexander thinks to himself, there's no one like Yonatan. First of all, he's clearly a brilliant warrior, and secondly, he has reason to hate Demetrius. I need him on my side. I'll make him a better offer. So Alexander sends a letter to Yonatan, which goes something like this. Greetings to Yonatan from your brother Alexander. We have heard about your great courage, and we would like to make a league of friendship with you. I hereby appoint you as high priest over your people, 
and to show you I am serious, I have included a purple robe and a golden crown for you to wear. Please see the back of the packaging for the user instructions. Well, something like that. Yonatan is delighted with this gesture of friendship, and on the festival of Sukkot that year, he dons the robe and crown and officiates as Kohen Gadol, the first time the Jews had had a Kohen Gadol since the death of Yehud HaMakabi four years previously. Now, when Demetrius hears about Alexander's offer to Yonatan, and the latter accepting it, Demetrius is distraught and says, Why didn't I act sooner? Why did I delay and give Alexander the chance to win Yonatan over to his side? I've got to have Yonatan as my ally. I'll make him an amazing offer. And in a rather comical gesture, Demetrius sends another letter to Yonatan, which fills 22 verses in the book of Maccabees, in which he attempts to butter up Yonatan and promises him an incredulous amount of rewards to persuade him to become Demetrius's ally. The letter reads something like this. Greetings to Yonatan and the people of the Jews. In the past, you have remained loyal to us, and we are very grateful. If you continue to remain so, we will reward you exceedingly. Now I release you and your people from all the crown taxes you were forced to pay us. The share of the crops and fruit trees you had to deliver to us. I give up authority over Jerusalem and the Acre. I hereby release every Jewish prisoner held captive throughout my kingdom, and shall even ensure their cattle are returned to them. I grant complete religious freedom to all Jews. I give you the city of Acre as a gift. I will give 15,000 shekels from the royal treasury every year, and I will pay for the building and repairing of the Beit Mikdash and all the towns in Judea. When Yalatan and the Jews receive Demetrius's letter, they laugh. Clearly, Demetrius is desperate to win Yalatan over, and there's nothing he isn't willing to promise to achieve that. But not for one second do they take his extravagant promises seriously. This, don't forget, is the same Demetrius who scolded Nicanor for failing to kill Yehud HaMakabi. The same Demetrius who, after Nicanor's defeat, sends over 20,000 soldiers into Judea to fight the Maccabim and succeed in killing Yehuda. And now he's trying to win them over with this? They dismiss his ridiculous letter without a second glance. Alexander Ballas, on the other hand, has no history of oppressing the Jews. And Yalatan and the people are perfectly happy to forge a league of friendship with him. In the meantime, Alexander has raised a great army, which includes many soldiers who deserted the official Seleucid army to join him, and he engages Demetrius in battle. Josephus tells us the details of the battle. Demetrius fights courageously and slays many of Alexander's soldiers, but as he gives chase to the rest of them, his horse carries him into a deep bog and gets stuck. As soon as the fleeing soldiers of Alexander see what happened, they turn back and throw their darts at Demetrius. Demetrius's wounds prove too much for him, and he falls there on the battlefield. The battle is a victory for Alexander Ballas, who now finds himself as the Seleucid Emperor. Alexander's first move is to make an alliance with Ptolemy, king of Egypt, by requesting to marry his daughter Cleopatra, and the Egyptian king agrees and comes to meet Alexander in Acre, where the marriage takes place. Alexander had written to Yonatan to come and meet them, so Yonatan visits Alexander and Ptolemy in Acre and brings them many expensive gifts. Some Hellenist Jews tried to badmouth Yonatan to the king, but Alexander would not hear of it. On the contrary, he clothes Yonatan in royal purple and orders his servants to lead Yonatan into the midst of the city and proclaim that no man may trouble or complain against him. When the Hellenists see the royal treatment Yonatan is receiving, they scarper. Alexander remains emperor for five years, and these years are really very good for Yonatan and the Jews. Alexander is kind to Yonatan and treats him as the foremost of his friends. Unfortunately, it doesn't last. 
After five years, a new contender for the Seleucid throne makes his appearance, and his name is Demetrius. See, when Demetrius was slain on the battlefield by Alexander's soldiers, his son, also named Demetrius, fled to Crete, where he remained for five years. But now he's returned to the Levant, and he's set on reclaiming the throne. Alexander is very sorry to hear about this, and heads straight up to Antioch. Demetrius arrives, and appoints a general named Apollonius in charge of his army. Apollonius camps with the army at Yavna on the coastal plain, and sends a rather intimidating message to Jonathan. Why do you stay with your soldiers in the mountains? If you trust in your own strength, come down from the mountains and meet me here on the plain, and let our armies fight each other with real weapons and not stones, in a place where there is nowhere to flee to in defeat, and you shall realise you are unable to stand before us, for twice before we have defeated your fathers in their own land. Apollonius is essentially telling Jonathan, don't hide in the mountains like a coward. If you're really so strong, come down into the open and we'll see who's stronger, and it won't be you. Jonathan is rather irritated by this ultimatum, and he and his brother Shimon swiftly assemble 10,000 men and march them westward out of Yerushalayim down to Jaffa on the coast. The reason they choose that location is because Jaffa has a garrison of soldiers stationed there by Apollonius and Yonatan and Shimon want to neutralise the threat they represent. Initially, the inhabitants of Jaffa shut the gates to them, but when Yonatan orders a siege of the city, the inhabitants are afraid he will conquer the city and deal with them harshly. So they open the gates and Yonatan is able to take Jaffa without a fight. When news reaches Apollonius that Yonatan has indeed come down to the coastal plain, he prepares an army of 3,000 cavalry and 8,000 foot soldiers and directs them to Ashdod, another coastal city a little way south of Jaffa. From there, Apollonius leads them slowly northward towards Jaffa, deliberately taking his time, because he wants Yonatan to think he is vulnerable and leave Jaffa to attack him on the plain. Apollonius wanted Yonatan to come and fight him because he secretly left a thousand cavalry hidden in a valley, instructing them to come up behind Yonatan's troops when they meet Apollonius's army on the plain, thereby giving the impression that the Jews were surrounded. The ploy works. Yonatan takes the bait and leads his troops south to Ashdod to meet Apollonius in battle, where the two sides engage. But Yonatan is an outstanding battle commander, and when Apollonius's horsemen emerge from behind to surround him, he keeps his cool. He orders his men to stand in a square formation, and part of his forces he hands over to Shimon, with the order to keep fighting the main army on the southern side, while he directs the Jews closest to the ambush on the northern side. The ambushing horsemen were armed with copious darts, which they had intended to throw at the Jewish soldiers and pick them off one by one. But Yonatan instructs his men to lock their shields and form a large wall to protect their bodies. They do so, and even though the enemies pepper them with darts from morning until late at night, none of them cause any damage, because they simply bounce off Yonatan's wall of shields. Once they run out of darts, Shimon, who perceives the enemy to be tired out, redoubles his assault, and the Jews fall upon the enemy with renewed vigour. Eventually, the foot soldiers break ranks and run, and when the horsemen see the foot soldiers running, they themselves flee too, and the whole enemy army end up scattered all over the plain. Yonatan catches and slays many of them, and the rest flee to the temple of Dagon in Ashdod. But Yonatan finds them there, and burns the temple together with all the surviving soldiers. On that day, the Jews slay 8,000 enemy soldiers. Yonatan leads his men to nearby Ashkelon, where the people emerge and give them many presents and kind words, and thus he returns to Yerushalayim with a great many gifts. 
The final event in chapter 10 is how word of Jonathan's victory over Apollonius reaches Alexander back in Antioch, who again sends Jonathan various gifts, including a sash of gold, which apparently was a customary gift worn by friends of the king in those days. He also gifts Jonathan the city of Ekron on the plain. That brings us to the end of chapter 10, in which five years have passed. Alexander Ballas, who might or might not be the son of Antiochus Epiphanes, has overthrown Demetrius and greatly honoured Jonathan. Demetrius, the son of Demetrius, has arrived to reclaim his father's throne, and his general Apollonius challenged Jonathan to a battle on the plain in which Jonathan more than proved his worth. We'll resume next time with chapter 11, in which Ptolemy, king of Egypt, Alexander's ally and father-in-law, will turn his back on him and conspire with Demetrius to unseat Alexander from the throne.